You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. Welcome to our series through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're calling it Dirty Church. I want to invite you to grab your Bible, turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, and get ready to study God's Word together. Hmm. Yeah. Great ministry. Morning, Harvest. I want to extend a special welcome to our church family across our campuses that is joining us as well this morning. We're glad that all of you are here to worship with us. And for those of you that maybe don't know me, whether it's here in Elgin or across our campuses, my name is John Nichols. I have the privilege of serving at the, as the campus pastor here in Elgin, and I have the privilege of opening God's Word with you this morning. So do me a favor, grab your Bibles. You're going to need a Bible this morning, right? We love the Word of God here, and we're going to open it up. Go ahead and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to continue our study in 1 Corinthians this morning. As you're turning there, I want to paint a picture for you. I know we are on the cusp of baseball season, but imagine it's the beginning of football season, just with me for a second, right? And so we know that every summer, football players go to camp, and they're at camp for the whole preseason and all their training. And when they arrive at camp, they're given a playbook. If you're an offensive player, you're given the offensive playbook. If you're a defensive player, you're given the defensive playbook. And and you're supposed to take this playbook and learn what you're supposed to do for every play, right? You, You have your position, and you play it, and every play you're supposed to do something something specific. And, and as long as everybody follows that play, we got a chance at scoring touchdowns and stopping the other team from scoring touchdowns and winning games and maybe the Super Bowl. But imagine with me, if we're halfway through the season and, and right, you have wide out receivers and this play is called and there's a wide out over there and there's a wide out over here. And his, this guy on this side, his role, he's the decoy. He read the playbook. He knows it. They've, they've run this play already a bunch of times. But his, his role in this play is just to run as far as and fast as he possibly can. Hopefully get a couple of defenders to go with you and open up a hole. While the, other, the guy on the other side, he's going to do a down and an in. And, and he's going to come right across the middle. He's going to get the ball. And maybe if you create a big enough hole, he might score a touchdown. They've been running this play all year. And this receiver decides, I'm tired of this. Like, I, I deserve to make a few more catches. I'm pretty, I'm as good as he is. I deserve the football. I'm doing a down and in. I'm going to beat him to the middle. I'm going to catch that ball, and I'm going to score the touchdown. But I think we all know what would happen. It'd be chaos. Because you have two receivers doing a down and an in to the same exact spot. So not only are they most likely to run into each other, they're also bringing a whole mess of defenders with them. So even if one of them catches the ball or it doesn't get picked off, it's going to be chaos. There's a reason they have a playbook. There's a reason they follow it. Because it works. You don't always get to be what we would label the star, but every piece on that plan is important. The tackles, the guards, the center, every player is important to make sure that play works. It's no different if it were an orchestra. Right? For those of you that love an orchestra, imagine you went to a concert. And, and imagine right over here, you get the, the violin section, and they're, they're, they're playing their sheet music, much like their playbook, they have sheet music. And imagine the violinist over here going, you know, I never get a solo. Why don't I ever get a solo? Chair one gets a solo. I should get a solo. I'm as good as chair one. People need to know how good I am. I'm going to stand up and do a solo, like right in the middle of the show. Imagine if the drummer did it. Now, as a drummer, I would love that, right? (laughs) But imagine if the drummer did it. They'd ruin the show. If they did a solo in the middle of the concert, any musician would. You follow the sheet music, and the end result is beautiful. I think you get where I'm going. We've been having this discussion on spiritual gifts, And the gifts are given to us by God for his glory, for what he wants us to do with them. And he's given us a playbook. I really don't like even saying that because we know this is the active and living word of God. It's so much more than that. But 
but it, it's also that. God gives us guidelines, gives us instructions. He's like, hey, here are these gifts. And oh, by the way, here's how you use the gifts. But too often, we, like a football player who wants the glory or a musician who wants the recognition, for various reasons, we tend to sometimes use these gifts how we want to. We make them more about us. And so what we see happening here in chapter 14 is some correction. Paul's done a lot of teaching on it. In fact, even chapter 13 was some correction. You guys have missed the whole point that love is more important, right? So now we come to chapter 14, even more correction where the Corinthians were abusing and misusing uh, one of the gifts in particular. And here's the thing. When things go south like that, when, when you have a football player who decides, I want the ball, there's something wrong in here. There's something wrong in his heart. He's more concerned about himself. Maybe it's insecurity. Maybe it's a glory process. It's the same thing with the, the musician who wants that recognition. They need, to re- they need to know I'm here and how good I am. It's, it's a heart problem. And so when we as Christians do the same thing with our gifts, it's a heart problem. Our heart is not aligned with the heart of our Father, the one who's given us these gifts. We all have an alignment problem from time to time. We don't all have it, but, but we do from time to time probably. We can get out of line and not have that problem. And so what I want to do, this is the question I'm asking this morning, right? How can we avoid the problems of the church at Corinth regarding spiritual gifts? Because that's what Paul is telling us how to do. He's, he's confronting them and he's correcting them. and He's doing it graciously. But we can learn from this so hopefully we don't go down this road. Or if maybe we've gone down this road, and I can stand here as one who has gone down this road at times. Sought my gifts for my own glory. We can be corrected and come back into the plan that God has for us. We want to get our hearts aligned with God regarding our gifts. We do that by following three lessons we can learn. The first lesson is this. We're going to jump right in. Gifts without love are useless. Gifts without love are useless. Beginning of 1 Corinthians 14, right? Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. We're going to come back to the second half in a minute. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. I want to paint you a picture, right? Paul is not just saying pursue love because he just talked about it in verse 13, but basically those two words sum up all of chapter 13. If you missed Pastor Jeff's message from last week, go listen to it. But the picture that's painted here for us, really in the Greek, of this pursuit, it's, it's like a hunter. And he's, he's, he's bow and arrow gun, whatever you use, he shot his prey, but his prey is still running. I'm not giving up. I'm not coming home. My uncle told me a story once, and when he shot, a, he shot an elk, and he tracked this thing for two hours. In the cold, in the snow, in the Rocky Mountains. I'm not giving up. I'm not coming home till I get my prey. That's the pursuit. Or imagine it this way. I saw this video this year of a woman running a marathon. And she looked like she was probably an elite runner in the way that she was running. But, but then they get to the end of the race, the last quarter mile. And, and, and she is barely able to stay on her feet. She's, she's, she's wobbling and, and, and she's, she's trying to move forward. And she's stumbling. You're, you're waiting for her to fall. Your heart is breaking. And then she falls. And the, the, the emergency personnel run over to, get to help her. And she... You couldn't hear it because of all the noise, but it looked like she was screaming at them. Don't touch me. The moment they touch her, her race is over. Can't finish. I'm finishing this race. And, and no joke, this woman eventually got herself back up, and she stumbled a little further, and she fell. And she got herself, at a quarter mile, she fell probably six or seven times. And literally, no joke, crawled the last 20 yards, ripping her knees open, bloody hands, bloody knees, because she wanted to finish the race. That's the picture Paul's painting. 
pursue love. It's that important. It's more important than anything else in the world. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. The picture painted here with earnestly desire the spiritual gifts is this. I really, really want it, but I'm okay if I don't get it. You ever had something like that in life? Man, I'd love to have that. Man, I'd love to have that someday. I might even try to see if I can get it, but I'm okay if I don't get it. Paul's painting a picture and reminding them, these things are great. They're from God. They're important. Desire them, but never above this. In fact, without this, these are useless. That's his point. That's what he's getting at. It's a divine priority of love. We've seen already in the Corinthian church, right? They pursued certain gifts. They wanted the ones that were more showy, and they would use them however they wanted. They didn't care about love. They wanted recognition. They wanted fame. They wanted people to go, oh, look at them. Ooh, ah, ooh. They wanted people to be impressed with them. They used them how they wanted. There was an entitlement to the early believers. I deserve to use it this way and to do whatever I want with it. Forgetting that love was the divine priority and that these gifts without love were useless. When I was in college in Indiana, my original degree was to be a high school history teacher. That's what I graduated college with. And I did my student teaching at a place called Southern Wells School District in Indiana. It was a 25-minute drive from the apartment I was living in. And my roommate uh, and I both actually had the, the, the fortune of student teaching at the same school at the same time. So we'd alternate cars each day, who's taking whose car we're driving. And we got in my car that morning, and we're driving, and we zip by the gas station in Upland, Indiana, and we're on our way to Southern Wells, and we're driving by corn because that's all there is in that part of Indiana. And we, we know we have a 20-minute drive, and I looked down, and I realized my gas light's on. And you know, we're 21. What's a gas light? We know better than our car. We can make it easily. There's a gas station by the school. We'll get there. We'll fill up afterwards. We'll be great. Because if we go back now to Taylor, we're, we're going to be late. So we just keep driving. And about five minutes later, we coast to a stop in the front of a farmer's house. We ran out of gas. What's the purpose of my car? It's to get me from Taylor University to Southern Wells School District. That's what my car was for. And in that moment, my car was utterly useless. It had no gas. It's the same with our gifts. We can use them. They can be there. God's given them to us. But if we're not using them from a place of love, they become useless. It's no different than me trying to serve my wife at home. And I'm not doing it from a place of love. For, for, for whatever selfish reason, I'm in a place of bitterness not because of anything she's done, but because of my own selfishness, I can serve her from a place of bitterness. I can guarantee you it's not having the effect I hope it has. It's useless. I'm going to show you something. I brought this today. Anybody probably under the age of 30 doesn't know what this is. Yeah, us older folks are laughing. It's a VHS tape for those of you that are young. We used to put these in a machine and it would play a movie and it would wear out and then you'd have to buy a new one. Well, this is a VHS tape of, I used to be a youth pastor in Lake Zurich. And we used to take, I, I like whitewater rafting, and so whenever we did a summer trip, we would work rafting into the trip. And this was one year we actually got it videotaped. Like, this is one of our trips, is the actual tape of one of the times we took all of our students whitewater rafting. It's a great tape. We should watch it. You should come over. But we can't, because I don't have a VHS player, as most of us do not have a VHS player. Maybe there's one in the closet here I can borrow. But this thing's useless. I, I can't do anything with it. I guess unless I'm Tom Hanks stranded on a desert island, then I can use the tape to tie up things. But it's useless, folks. And so are gifts without love. One more thing about this. Look back with me to what Pastor Jeff talked about. There's one part I love this. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love. There it is. 
I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I love the drums, right? I'm a drummer. Like if I could, I had control over the worship team, we'd be playing, we'd have a lot more drums. But even I know that if I were to go back there, and I'll spare you this right now, and just start banging on that cymbal, because that would drive us all nuts. Even as a drummer, every drummer I know across our campuses would probably tackle me and tell me to stop because it's so annoying and it's so useless. Even if I can speak in the gift of tongues, but I'm not loving, it is useless. And Paul goes on. And if I have prophetic powers, right, we're getting into other gifts now, prophetic powers, or understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. I have the faith to move a mountain, but I don't have love, it's useless. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Our gifts without love are useless, so we need to get our heart right. I was thinking about this. We just sang this song, right? I will build my life upon your love. In fact, Pastor Jeff went into this last week in chapter 13. He suggested this exercise, right? You remember this part of chapter 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. From from verse 4, basically, through verse 8. He suggested this exercise of putting God's name in there. When you read it, right? God is patient and kind. God does not envy or boast. God is not arrogant or rude. God does not insist on his own way. If you're struggling to understand God's love for you, maybe it sounds corny, maybe it sounds simplistic. I really urge you to try that exercise. Write it out on a note card, write it out on a sheet of paper, tape it on your bathroom mirror, tape it to your steering wheel. If we want to serve from a place of love so that our gifts are incredibly useful, we need to better understand the love that God has for us. And so do that exercise. It works. I've done it. Fill God's name in there and read it every morning when you get up. Remind yourself of how much you are loved. When Amy and I have done marital counseling, one of the exercises we've done sometimes is have each couple, each member say, go home, like to the husband, go home, write down 25 things you love about your wife. Wives, go home, write write down 25 things you love about your husbands, and then you're going to read it to each other. It's a really good exercise. One thing I did for myself years ago, and I probably need to do it again once in a while, I was in a selfish, bitter place. Again, nothing my bride had done. But I was in a selfish, bitter place. And so I decided to write down 25 things she had done for me. 25 ways she had shown me her love for me. That fixed my heart. When we realize how much we are loved, our heart gets fixed, guys. Our gifts without love are useless. So we want to serve from a place of love. Get to know God's love. Our gifts must flow from that place. Remembering that God gave us these gifts because he loves us so much and he gave them to him, right, for our church family, which is ultimately who they're for, which is what brings me to my second point. Not only are our gifts useless without love, but our gifts, my gifts are not for me. This is really the summary of so much of what we said and we're gonna camp here for a little bit because Paul does. My gifts are not for me. Let's look back at it. Before we do, I wanna acknowledge, finish one thing. Back in verse 1, we said, pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Desire the spiritual gifts. Yes, it's okay to ask. Just like you would ask a parent for a gift. Be okay if they say no, 
but especially that you may prophesy. This seems to sound like he's saying we should all be trying to get the gift of prophecy. That's what it looks like, but we don't know. In the Greek, this is plural. He's speaking to the church. He's saying, hey, Harvest Bible Chapel. This is really what this is saying. Hey, Harvest Bible Chapel, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you as a church may have the gift of prophecy among you. It's not about all of us prophesying. It's just making sure that we have it in this church family, which I believe we do. Oh, I'm learning how to use this one. Here we go. Let's continue. So Paul continues. For one who speaks in a tongue, the spiritual gift of tongues, speaks not to men, but to God. Remember that part. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. Okay, we're going to, again, come back to that as well. But talk about the spiritual gift of tongues for a second. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people what? For their upbuilding. Your gifts are not for you. What are they for? For the good of others. For their upbuilding and their encouragement and their consolation. This is what our gifts are for. The good of others. They're not for me. I don't use it for me. I don't use it for my recognition of fame. I use it for the good of others. They're upbuilding, their encouragement, and a consolation. Paul continues. The one who speaks in a tongue, here we are again, builds up himself. But the one who prophesies what? Builds up the church. So your gifts are not just for the good of one another. They're for the growth of the entire church. When we use our gifts and we come together, the entire church is blessed. They're not for me. They're for the good of the church. Paul continues, no, I want you all to speak in tongues. He's not saying we all should, we're all going to have it. He's just, it's just a desire. I'd, I'd love it if you all spoke in the gift of tongues, but you don't need to necessarily. But even more so to prophesy. Again, he's just showing there's sometimes there's a divine priority in some of these things. The one who prophesies is greater, I'm going to come back to that, than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. See, tongues, which, let me, def- tongues, if you remember, I know Pastor Jeff talked about it. But in short, tongues, it's one of two things in the New Testament. In the Acts chapter 2, you read that it's a foreign language previously unknown to the speaker. For example, in the moment, if half the people in this room spoke French and only French, and suddenly I could speak the gospel in French, never having spoken it or studied it. That's what happened in Acts chapter 2. But here we see something very different. Right? They speak only to God, it talked about. They utter mysteries in the spirit. There's a need for an interpreter for it to actually benefit the church. Later, Paul's going to talk about how it's something used in prayer. It's something that's done in prayer. So the gift of tongues is also, in addition, in addition to the one option of it, the other, the other piece of it is this, is that it's a private prayer language. Something that even the speaker doesn't understand, but God does. And it lifts up that person's spirit. That's what the gift of tongues is. That's what he's talking about. And so basically the gift of tongues is primarily a private prayer language unless there's an interpreter there. Because when there's an interpreter there, we come back to the same thing. So that the church may be built up. That's the bigger point here. Paul is correcting something, guys. He's not forbidding it. He's not saying you can't do it. He's not saying you shouldn't do it. In fact, at the end of the chapter that will be talked about next week, he says don't forbid speaking in tongues. But there are instructions it's a private prayer language, ideally, but so it shouldn't ideally be he- heard in the church gathering unless there is an interpreter so that the church may be built up. That's the point. The building up of the church, the good of others, and the growth of the church. I want to clarify, too, I've already clarified the, the gift of tongues. Just a reminder, as we've been going through this series, the gift of prophecy that we're talking about is also one of two things. It's either 
foretelling the future. Read, read in, the, in the book of Acts, uh, the prophet Agabus twice predicts the future, and both times it comes true. Different from the office of prophet in the Old Testament, because we're told later in the chapter that prophecies should be weighed by the elders. But also it's forthtelling. It's, it's, it's explaining uh, the present from God's perspective and bringing strength to God's people through God's word. It's in the moment having the right word for somebody to, again, do what? Right? This is what it does. For upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. It's bringing the word of God in a moment to do that. We see at the end of the chapter, it also sometimes is corrective, and it even reveals some things about people. I believe this is something that is very active in our church. I listen to the conversations in our lobby post-service. I, I, I get to engage in them, and I listen to some of you use this gift. I've been up front for prayer, and this is very active, I believe, in our church. And what I love, too, I want to point this out. Paul doesn't do cancel culture. With all this talk about tongues, which is where the primary problem was, Again, he's being corrective, and he's doing so pretty graciously so far. He's trying to fix a problem, not get rid of a problem, right? What do we do nowadays? Cancel culture. Oh, they're going off the deep end with that gift of tongues. Know what? We're done with it. Done. Gone. It's over. Forget it. We're going to just remove it. We're not going to bother or waste our time with it. That's what we like to do. My first experience with the gift of tongues, I was 17 years old. I'd been a Christian for three years. And my dad had a business trip to Arizona, and he said, hey, why don't you come with me, see if you can get a friend to come. You guys can just drive all around Scottsdale and have a good time, go out to food, go to a concert, whatever, and, and just hang out and swim. Okay, great, we'll go. So we went for a long weekend. We were having all kinds of fun, and it was Sunday night, and we're like, you know, we're good Christian teenagers. Let's go to a church. We knew nothing about where we were. Closest church was just down the street, Assemblies of God Church. We decided we're going to go to the Sunday night service and just be good Christians. We walk in, and we take our seat, and they start singing. We're like, oh, we know this song. This is wonderful. This is great. We're standing up, and we're singing along, and then I hear something over here. I was like, well, maybe there's some people who speak a foreign language. Okay, whatever. You know, good for them. They're singing in whatever language that was. And then I hear somebody over there, and then I hear it up there, and I hear it over there, and, and then right behind me. And I'm like, that is not a language I've ever heard in my life. I don't know what that is. It's really freaking me out. Like, I was getting really uncomfortable, and I started to lean over to my friend Todd. I was like, Todd, he's like, I hear too. Okay. Both just kind of standing there, still kind of singing, but that hesitant, like, Lord, you're so wonderful. Getting really nervous, and then I'm and, and just in between songs. I'm like, dude, do you have any idea what's going on here? I think it's this thing called gift of tongues. I'm like, what? I'm a three-year-old Christian. I know nothing. You're freaking me out, Todd. He's like, I'm freaking out, John. We sit down, and these two ladies come walking over to us, and very sweet women, and they're like, Are you boys visiting? Yeah, we're just in town for the weekend. My dad had a job thing. We just wanted to go to church, didn't want to miss out. Oh, that's wonderful. Have you boys received the gift of the Holy Spirit? Do you guys, can you guys speak in the gift of tongues? I have to confess before my entire church family, and I've already confessed before the Lord, I flat out lied. I flat out lied to these women. I looked right. Yes, we do. Oh, yes, I've got the Holy Spirit just like you, ma'am. I've got the gift of tongues. And they were, oh. Satisfied them, they walked away, and we ran. We ran. We were so freaked out. Got home, called our youth pastor, and like, we need to do lunch today. We were so freaked out. Paul doesn't do that. Like, uh, let me say this. From that moment on, I was what scholars would call a cessationist. I had a really, really bad experience with the gift of tongues. Therefore, in my mind, they're either not real or they're fake or this is a mess. 
No way, these things aren't real. And I believed that for years until I began to really truly study God's word and understand how these gifts are supposed to be used. That church in Arizona misused the gifts. They did exactly what Paul is correcting. They were shouting these, singing these out loud. No interpreters, nobody else there. In fact, what happens when any of the gifts are used improperly, when they are misused or abused, you know what happens? You actually put up walls. You're not only not edifying, which is the goal, you're actually maybe building walls or causing people to stumble in their faith. And this is what Paul is getting after. It's not that it's a bad gift. In fact, it's a really good gift. But use it the way that God designed. Imagine, Pastor Jeff used this illustration, I think, week one in, 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 this, in the spiritual gifts talk, of a, of a battleship versus a cruise ship, right? That the church is more like a battleship. We all have a role. We all have to play that role. But imagine if the gunner, have you ever seen a battleship? The big, like, 20-inch guns on the front are amazing if you've never toured one. Tour Battleship, they're really, really cool. And I just was thinking, what if the gunner decides, they're just, they're just out at sea and he sees a ship. I'm not getting to use my gift. I've been trained to, the, I'm one of the best gunners in the U.S. Navy. I can hit a boat moving at 40 knots at a mile and a half. And I never get to use it. I see a boat, I'm going to use it. This guy just starts firing off rounds. That's what was going on in Corinth. People were just speaking in tongues whenever they, they felt like it. And so Paul makes very, very clear, this is, this is ideally a private prayer language between you and the Lord and shouldn't be heard in the church unless there is an interpreter because then it will edify. That's the goal of all of the gifts is edification. We need to keep our mind on that. Let's continue in the passage. Just keep making this same point. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues... How will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation, knowledge, right? Prophecy or teaching. Let me go back to this. How will I, where is it? How will I benefit you? Again, my gifts are not for me. They're for the good of others and the growth of the church. But if I bring you a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching, I use these other gifts. They do benefit you because you can understand what I'm saying. If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played. And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle, right? This whole idea that if nobody understands it, goes back to our first point, it's useless. The gift isn't useless, but when it's misused, it becomes useless. So with yourselves, even with your tongue, if you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. And unless there's an interpreter, the gift of tongues isn't intelligible. That's his whole point. Yeah, he seems to be beating it up a little bit. But again, I think it was being quite misused and abused. We can, we can take a safe guess that it was being quite misused and abused in Corinth. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning, right? The gift of tongues does have meaning. But it's not understood to the rest of us unless the interpreter is there. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and a speaker foreigner to me. We continue to see this point that they're not for me. You know, if, we all, if, if I had a trumpet here and I could play it, I can't. But if I played a calvary, uh, like the cavalry charge, the charge signal for the, for the military, we would all probably know it. You've heard it in movies. If you're a soldier, you knew it for sure. You know the sound for charge. You know the sound for retreat. You know what taps is if you hear those sounds. Right? When, it's, when it's played the way it's meant to be played, we know what to do. It makes sense. But if somebody like me were to grab a trumpet and blow on it, we, you'd all probably start throwing rotten fruit at me because it would sound horrible. 
and I would hurt your ears, and it would make absolutely no sense. I want to read something to you. Listen to this. Here we go. Pues Dios amó tanto al mundo que dio a su único Hijo para que todo el que cree en él no se pierda, sino que tenga vida eterna. Who's, who's edified right now? My Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters, let me first say, I am sorry for my pronunciation. I'm sure I butchered that, and please forgive me. But you all, just so we all can be edified, I don't need to look it up. What I just read, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Amen? Amen. We're all edified. We're all edified in that moment. And, and, I, and I can honestly say on today when our Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters are with us, those that don't speak any English are still edified because they're listening through our app and having it translated. That's what Paul's getting after. Gifts have a purpose. There's a way that they're supposed to be used, and when they're used, the churches build up. They're not for us, folks. Try this tonight, or this, maybe, maybe, maybe this afternoon. Go home, pick one of your streaming services. Netflix, Prime, Hulu, Apple, whatever you have. Pick one. Go find a, sport, a foreign language film and a language you really don't know at all. Like, I, I couldn't tell you one word of German. Unless Frankfurter's German, then I got one. But I don't know German, right? So, and I tried this recently. Put on a foreign language film and turn off the subtitles. And give it a try. I turned it off in about three minutes. It was, it, it was, like, a, it was like a clanging cymbal. It was like a trumpet with indistinct sound. Guys. Our gifts are for the good of others and the growth of the church. And we want to use all of them that way. A little bit more on this. One more thing. Oh, did I... Oh, don't want to skip anything. Oh, sin- yeah, let me read this before we move on. So with yourself, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, right? Strive to excel, there it is again, in building up the church. Whatever the gifts. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret, right? Why? Because that's what builds up the church. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, right? Again, talking about this as a prayer language, but my mind is unfruitful. And all he means by that is the tongue speaker themselves don't understand what they're saying. And you might think, well, what's the purpose? You can ask God that question. I do know this. It builds them up in their spirit. It does edify them. And my friends who speak in tongues will tell you, I, I don't get it, John, but I know that when I do it, me and the Lord privately at home, I stir his spirit, my stir his spirit, and I, I, I fall deeper in love with the Lord. Amen to that. So what am I to do, though, right? We're talking about in the church, I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. What he's saying here, my spirit and my mind, saying I'm going to pray in a language that people understand because that builds up. Both my mind and my spirit are fruitful. Same thing, I will sing praise, what? With my spirit and I will sing with my mind also. In that church in Arizona years ago, we stood there and we sang. And, and some of these folks sang in their gift of tongues. It didn't build up. It didn't edify it didn't help in any way, shape, or form. It actually deterred my faith for a long time. But when I stand in here on a Sunday morning and I hear, I, there's a lot of reasons I like to sit in the front row. It has nothing to do with being a pastor. I feel closer to Jesus and I want no distractions. But what I love with the speakers in my face, I love the Sundays when I can hear you. It makes me sing louder. But the gift of tongues 
again, doesn't do that. When I'm in a room with people, and you've probably experienced this, and you're praying, and all of a sudden somebody else prays, and you're like, I was thinking the same thing. The Spirit's laid on my heart what he's laid on your heart. It's all about edification and building up the body. That's what we're talking about. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen, right? If I'm speaking in tongues in my spirit and I give thanks, nobody's going to know. Nobody can say amen to that. We don't know what's going on. Say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person, well, here we go again, is not being built up. That's what it's about. Your gifts are not about you. None of our gifts are. They're about edification and building up the body. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind, again, it's audibly in the language they understand, in order to instruct others than ten thousand words in a tongue. I think Paul's making his point pretty clear. Right? It's about, and, and, and yeah, building people up. Our gifts are not for us. They're for the growth of the church. You know, I had a friend in Arizona in the years that we were pastoring there. These last 13 years before we, if you didn't know that, I, Amy and I were in Arizona for 13 years before coming here two years ago. Um, and you might think we're nuts, you know, when you have weather like yesterday morning, but we're glad to be here. The Lord called, and we're glad to be where he wants us. But we were there in Arizona pastoring, and, and the church we were past, I was pastoring was going through some challenges on this exact issue. And I remember sitting down with, with one of my friends, a good friend of mine, who was kind of in that camp. They kind of wanted to do what they wanted to do when and how they wanted to do it. Tongues, prophecy, healing, miracles. And so we sat down over coffee and we opened up 14. And I said, listen, God has a way that he wants these gifts used. It's not me. I know you keep saying the church is restricting you, but it, God has a way he wants these gifts to be used. And he said, John, listen, so what you're saying, the way you're saying it is you are not letting me be who God made me to be. It was his whole point. You're not letting me be who God made me to be. God, made me, God gave me this gift and he made me this way to work this way. And now you're putting restrictions on me. And I very quickly looked at him and I said, listen, first of all, that's not who you are at all. You are a child of the living God, as am I and everyone who calls God Father. That's our identity. That's who we are. And I'm not, we're, nobody's restricting that in any way, shape, or form. But th- and secondly, this is a gift that God gave you for his purposes, for his glory, for the good of his church. And we're supposed to use our gifts the way he designed and he's asked us to. You're just choosing to ignore that. We want to make sure we use our gifts the way God has designed. They're not for us. They're for the edification of the body, the good of others, and the growth of the church. Third thing is this. Third lesson we need to learn. Don't act like a child. A little bit more in your face, but Paul makes a subtle shift himself here. Right? Brothers, I lo- you, ever, you ever have a conversation with somebody and you know you have to correct them? Right? You do this at home. But I've needed it. Amy's very gracious. Amy, hey, honey, can we talk? I'm like, what'd I do? And I usually did something, right? But we try to, we try to soften the blow, but then he kind of gets right after me. He says, do not be children in your thinking, right? Be infants in evil. Be infants in evil. He's basically saying, listen, when you're a kid, you really don't even understand evil. You're, you're kind of ignorant to it, as you should be. But as an adult, when it comes to this whole thing of spiritual gifts, stop acting like a child. 
Don't be children in your thinking. Stop acting like a child. In your thinking, be mature. And then he goes on to explain what he's saying. He says, in the law, Old Testament, book of Isaiah, it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Paul goes back to an Old Testament story when the nation of Israel was being rebellious, right? Anything new? We often read of that. And the Lord comes to correct them through the prophet Isaiah. Prophet Isaiah speaks to them, and Israel says, listen, we're going to do what we want to do. Thanks, Isaiah, but no thanks. We're good. We got this covered. He's like, okay. God comes back with a new message. By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this group. He's saying, listen, you're going to know that you're being judged by God when you're suddenly surrounded by and being defeated by people whose language you don't speak. When you hear that, you're going to know that I've judged you. And so he uses this as an explanation. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church come together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? That is my Arizona experience. I thought they were out of their minds. I wasn't an unbeliever, but I was an outsider, right? The gift was not accomplishing much. But if all prophesy and, all, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. So we hear something happening here with the gift of prophecy when it's used right. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face. I love this. He will worship God and declare that God is really among you. I love what Paul does here. He doesn't just, this is kind of a scolding for Paul. He says, listen, don't be children in your thinking. This is, in, in the Greek, this is what we call present imperative. Paul's like, stop it. Right? As, as a parent, if, you, if, you, if you've had kids, right, your children learn certain words. They learn the word mine, and they learn the word no. Right? Mine, 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 mine. Billy, give your sister's toy back. No, it's mine, it's mine. Billy, stop it. That's where Paul's gotten to. He's like, he's like, listen, I'm going to correct you. I'm going to do it gently. You need to get this. But some of you, some of you kind of need a harsher tone. Stop it. Stop acting like a child. Grow up in your thinking. And I love what he does. When he says grow up, he tells them how. Indirectly, but he tells them how. Right? Go back to that. How do you grow up? You become deeply rooted in the word of God. That's how we grow up in our thinking. You want to be mature in your thinking? You grow up, you you, you go deeper in the word, you get deeply rooted in the word of God. And had they had a better understanding of the word of God, they would have themselves even understood these gifts and what they were for, that tongues was a sign for unbelievers. An unbeliever comes walking in here and we're all speaking in tongues. They think, you guys are nuts, I'm out. And so much like in Old Testament Israel, this person walked in, heard these tongues, didn't get it, and they left, right? They'd feel out of place. I don't belong. I need to leave. I need to get out of here. And thus they end up being judged in the Lord. That's how the Old Testament story connects. Whereas prophecy is for believers. As one author says, unintelligible tongues leave unbelievers in a state of unbelief and therefore judgment while prophecy is able to bring even unbelievers into their faith. But tongues were a judgment for Israel as they can be for the non-believer. So we need to become deeply rooted in the word of God. It's just because maybe we've been going to church for 40 or 50 years and heard a lot of sermons. doesn't mean we're deeply rooted. But we need to know God's word so we know, even on a morning like today, so we better understand these things and we can use gifts the way they're meant to be used, the way they're designed to be used. They're not ours. God gave them to us. 
So in some way, yes, they are ours, but he gave them to us for a purpose and for a reason, right? For the good of the church, for the good of others and grow the church. And so our thinking becomes mature, this last point. Stop acting like a child. We become mature when we become more deeply rooted in God's word, learning to do things the way God has designed us to do. You know, when I started this off, I talked about a heart problem. Right? We have an alignment problem, really, because our heart is off. It's not aligned with God about these gifts. So how do we make sure, how do we know if we even have a heart problem? Right? The lessons we just talked about, knowing that, that our gifts without love are useless, knowing that our gifts are not for us, and knowing we need to stop acting like children, those are the lessons that help us make sure we do this the right way and get our heart realigned if it isn't aligned. But how do we know we have a heart problem? I want to enclose, or at the end here, I want to share with you five indicators of a heart problem. And I want to ask you in this moment, because every time I, I even hear sermons like this, in my head I can automatically go, oh yeah, so-and-so needs to hear this. Yep, that, that's, that, that's my friend Mike. Yep, totally for him. In this moment, will you just, even where you're sitting, say, Lord, is any one of these for me? Is my heart unaligned in a certain spot? So that we can all come together and use these the right way. And again, I say none of that with judgment. I can look at most of these and say I've struggled with all of them at one point or another. I don't say that lightly like I have. I'll even share one of the examples as we get moving along. But let me share these with you real quick. Five indicators of a heart problem. The first one is gift abuse. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to, do it. I'm going to use my gift my way. Nobody's going to tell me any other different because I want to get what I want to get. Whether I want to get recognition, I want to get fame, I want to get power, I want to get glory, I'm going to use my gift my way. Even if I trample on people, I'm going to use it in a manipulative fashion because I want to get what I want to get. It's abusing your gift. All you're doing is hurting others. You're not edifying in any way, shape, or form. This one's sometimes a hard piece to swallow. But make sure we're not using our gift in this way. The second thing is gift pride. This is one I've struggled with a lot over the years. Gift pride is more of the look at me, I deserve. Not necessarily trying to gain power or glory, but, but I deserve it, right? God's given me this gift. I deserve this. You know, it's no different than, this is, and this is where I've struggled with it. So if you don't know my full story, we, before coming here, I was pastoring a, a smaller harvest in Arizona. I was a lead pastor. I preached 40 times a year. And I knew that in coming here, I wouldn't be preaching that much, maybe five or six times a year. I had to wrestle through my own pride. But God, don't I deserve it? I've, been, I've, I've gotten better at preaching. People keep telling me I'm good at preaching, God. Shouldn't I go to a church where I can preach? People need to hear me preach, Lord. I had to wrestle through my pride and be reminded myself, like, John, John, I gave you that gift. It's for my purposes and my glory. And whether I let you teach once with it or you teach a thousand times with it, or you never stand on a stage again, or your teaching is always at a Starbucks one-on-one with somebody helping them grow in their faith. You need to be glad with how I choose to use that gift in you because I gave it to you. I needed that moment. I needed to be reminded my gift's not for me. Whether I never stand on a stage again, God will use the gift he's given me for his glory, for his church, how he wants to use it. It's not about me. I'm so grateful to be up here today, but if I don't ever get to do this again, God will use me however he chooses to use me, and I need to be okay with that. And with his help, I've gotten to there. It's, it's also no different than if you had the gift of leadership, right? I deserve, I get the gift of leadership. I deserve to be on the elder board. Or I deserve to be in charge of this ministry. I have the gift of leadership. I'm entitled. No. God will put you in the place to use the gift he's given you the way he wants you to use it. We need to be okay with that. By the way, that's the sweet spot. That's where you want to be. You want to be using the gift the way God intended you to use it, where God wants you to use it, not where you want to use it. And that's where you're going to see him work like crazy in your life. Third one, gift identity. 
I already talked a little bit about this one. This is my friend in Arizona. My, my gift becomes my identity. This is who I am. We, we do that a lot in life. We do that with, with leadership tests and, and things like Enneagram. Oh, this is who I am. This is, no, it's not. If you're sitting here today or you're watching across our campuses and Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you are a child of the living God. That is who you are. And never forget it. His gifts are wonderful and they're incredible, but it is not our identity. But we get the grace of getting these gifts and getting to use them. Don't get lost in that gift. Get lost in knowing who your Savior is, knowing who your Father is. Fourth one is gift envy. I wish I had that gift. Right? There's, a, there's a lack of contentment. Maybe you just you wanted a gift that maybe looks more shiny or it's more up front. You want somebody else's gift. Right? There's, there's a difference between wanting a gift that something you're just not good at. Like, you know, you hear Pastor Jeff talk about it, and I always say amen when he talks about spreadsheets and people with the gift of administration. I love you people, because I don't have it. And there's someone's like, man, I wish I had that one. But it's not that kind of like, I wish I had it. I'm, not envy, like, I'm glad you have it. I don't. We work together well. This is wonderful. But, but sometimes we can get lost in that. And just like, oh, I wish I could do that. We kind of get lost in it. And we lose sight of God's given us a gift. Again, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire them, but be okay. I heard this said recently. I think it was from this stage, right? You get what you get and don't be upset. But you've been given a gift by God. Use it. Imagine if my dad gave me a brand new car for my 16th birthday. John, I want you to have fun with your friends and enjoy high school. Use this car all you want. Drive it all over the place. It's paid for. Here's a gas card. Go have a good time. And all I ever did when I come home was say, yeah, but dad, but Billy's got a nicer car. And I stopped using my car probably even because I wanted to ride in Billy's car because it was nicer than my car. That's gift envy. We don't want to fall into that place. Don't ever forget that you are uniquely created. You are uniquely planted by God our Father. And he's given you the exact gift he wants you to have to help build his church. Last one is gift neglect. It just means you're not using your gift, folks. You have been given gifts by God the Father to be used for the building of his church, for the good of others. And and when you don't use them, you're the only one who suffers. Yes, we do need you. We need everybody to serve, but you're really the one who suffers when you don't use them. God has things he wants to do in you and through you. You want to see God at work? Use the gifts he's given you. Don't sit on the sideline. We've been in this series for four weeks so far as far as the spiritual gifts piece of it. If you haven't yet gone online to do the assessment and try to figure out your gifts, do that. Start asking people, start engaging, start serving so that you don't miss out on all that God has for you in this. Folks, here's the beauty. Last thing I'm going to say. Where is it? When we all check our hearts and we align our hearts and we do this from a place of love and we do this for the good of others, this is what happens. When the gift is used properly, in this instance, the gift of prophecy, right? What happens? This unbeliever falls on his face, worships God, and declares that God is really among you. That's what happens when we use our gifts the right way, when we come together as a church family and the body that God has made us to be, we say, God, you've given it to me. Show me how and where to use it. It's for your glory. That's what happens. Anybody else want more of that? I'm going to ask that one again. Anybody else want more of that? Like, seriously, that's what I want week in and week out across our campuses. 
And it's going to happen when we come together and use our gifts from a place of love and use our gifts for the good of others and we grow up in the process of doing it for God's glory. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege to be together this morning as a family. I pray that we would never take this time together for granted. We get to worship together. We get to fellowship together, pray for one another, take communion and remind your great, remember your great sacrifice and listen to your word and hopefully have our hearts stirred by your spirit through your word. Thank you for it, Father. We pray that you would move in and among us, across our campuses, God, that you would make clear what our gifts are and show us how we can best use them God, I pray for any of us that are battling pride or envy or anything else, God. Show us, show us that, Lord. Help us to get our hearts aligned with you so that we can come together as a church family and to see you move mightily as we work together as your sons and daughters. Thank you that we get to do this. It is a privilege. And use us mightily, Lord, to help, to help build your church for your glory, we ask and we pray. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. For more information on how to get connected to one of our campuses, go to harvestbiblechapel.org. Tune in again next week for another edition of the Harvest Bible Chapel podcast.